0: Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Thanks for coming. Uh, we'll continue with uh, Shila Jivagoswami's Bhagavat Sandarbha. We've been uh, we started in our last discussion with Anucheta seventy-two. Uh, Dhruva Loka is also a transcendental vaikuntha. The primary thrust in this Anucheta, this section of Swami's Bhagavat Sandarbha, is to show that the Vaikuntha realm, even when it's manifest within the material world, is is fully transcendental. It's of the same nature as the Supreme Lord, Hiswar-Rup-Shakti. And that in the Upanishads and other writings, sometimes one... Could conclude that what's being referred to in some of the slokas, in some of the verses, is not the transcendental Vaikuntha, but Brahman, the Brahman manifestation, uh, which has no characteristics. Is it a manifestation or an unmanifestation? Jiva also in this Anuchetas is, is bringing out that point that when someone puts forth that argument it's it 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 doesn't stand especially in in the context in which they're trying to apply it so we'll start it's just at the end of what he's given many verses and i did not we went into one verse uh spoken by uh, Lord Shiva, the Shruti statement. And then he continues, um, The sages always see the abode of Sri Vishnu, which is eternal, imperishable, undecaying, and extends like the sun's effulgence in the sky. Gods like Brahma and Rudra are unable to enter that planet, but the best of yogis envision it with the eye of knowledge refined through scriptures. That abode is not known by me, Brahma, the gods, or by the great sages. O Suvatra, I will explain it to you, for I have learned the meaning of all the Upanishads. This is an interesting statement by Brahma, in that um, he talks about the revelation of a, of the transcendental abode by Kuntha. and it can't be directly seen, but it can be perceived by uh, refined knowledge of scripture, and then refined knowledge of scripture allows some uh, some further. Uh, realization it goes on. The planet called Vaikuntha is endowed with six opulences, just like the Supreme Lord. It is free from the three gunas and is unattainable by non-devotees. It is inhabited by the eternally perfect devotees of the Lord, who worship Him five times a day. It consists of beautiful forests, palaces, pleasure gardens, and assembly houses lakes, ponds, wells, and clusters of trees augment its beauty. The spiritual devas eulogize that abode whose effulgence is equal to thousands of suns. Then Jiva goes on and he ends his annotative saying the following. In these verses, and we didn't read the Sanskrit of the verses, but the words like pada and dam. Have been used to, in their primary sense to indicate abode, and not in the unconventional sense of the Lord Swarup, i.e., form, i.e., his form or nature. Commentary. So we're in Anucheta seventy-two and. The commentary begins by referring back to section 71, Anocheta 71. Um, And in that Anurceta, Jiva Goswani explained that Parampadam, Parampadam, which is the radical non-dualist, in misinterpretation as unqualified Brahman, actually refers to Vaikuntha. In the same section, he established that the Vedavadis, who are bewildered by the flower statements of the Vedas, and if you remember in that discussion, uh, it, it came out that they have their aspiration is like that of um, King Prachini Barhi that their aspiration in performing sacrifices and study of the Vedas is material advancement, material upliftment, uh, entrance into heaven. So, the Vedavadis, who are bewildered by the flower statements of the Vedas, mistakenly claim that heaven is the supreme destination. Now, he further substantiates his conclusion, that's Jiva's saying, with numerous references from the Upanishads, Vedanta Sutra, and the Puranas. Now, as I said when we started this Anaceti, extremely long, and I didn't quote all of the various statements, but um, in those different verses from the Upanishads and the Puranas and the Vedanta Sutra, there are references to many words like Atmaloka, Loka, Brahma Loka, Param Padam, Vaishnav Paramad Paramadharma, Moksha, Tripad vibhuti Hari Padam, vaikuntha Atuta Stana, Vishnu Mandira, and so on, are all symptoms. I'm sorry, synonyms for the abode of Bhagavan. Now, in this particular annotated, the first thing that we we saw was the prayer of the prayers of the gods when they went to be bailed out. They needed they needed an exit strategy. They were in trouble, and they wanted they wanted their their heavenly abode back. Alright, so we go back to the to a main component of the Bhagavatam and one of its distinguishing features that sets it aside from other major Puranas. And that is the story of Ritrasura. So where you have this story of Ritrasura, um uh, this is just one of the characteristics of the Bhagavatam. Just like the 10th canto is about Krishna's uh, you know, personal pastimes when he manifests. But this is also one of the distinguishing characteristics. This is the story of Ritrasura. So if you remember the story, uh, Indra was a little full of himself. His guru showed up and he didn't show him proper respect, he didn't get up, he didn't offer obeisances, didn't offer him a seat, didn't offer him something to drink, didn't, I mean, generally, if your guru came, there, there'd be some, you'd make, I mean, even here, in the back of nowhere, you know, we'd go out, we greet Guru Maharaj, you know, open the door of his car at least, Show him where his room is, we've already made it up, hopefully it's clean and it's got fresh sheets and incense and you know you offer him something to eat or you you know at least some little worship, you know some appreciation, so even back hills people like us know that when the guru comes you you don't just you know ignore him, but in this instance, being in heaven and being. You know, surrounded by all the opulence of heaven, Indra forgot himself, forgot his position, and forgot the position of his guru and neglected him when he showed up. His guru took offense, turned around and left. Indra realized the air of his ways and said, Well, let me go and offer apologies at least, uh, you know. Mm-mm. No. The guru was too clever for that. He couldn't find him. He hid. He became invisible uh, to Indra. So immediately the demoniac class of men saw an opportunity to strike because without the support of our guru we have no spiritual or material standing Um, that really is most prominent when it comes to those that accept a guru for spiritual advancement there's also gurus for material well-being there's family gurus there's i mean it's a it's a land of gurus really where can you go without having a guru that taught you something i mean even your mother taught you you know just the basics of life you know <laughs> so I don't know what that was about. <laughs> don't blame me. So whatever, we, need, we have teachers all along the way. But specifically in spiritual life, the disciple, as he advances more and more, he realizes more and more how little he had to do with his, whatever spiritual standing he may have. So it's like it's in, a, it's, it's in a reverse order. The more you advance, the more humble you become, the more <laughs> completely sold out to the fact that really I, am, I was nothing when I... Now, I'm nothing now and I was nothing when I came to the feet of my spiritual master. And if there's anything that I do have, it's coming as his grace to me. In the beginning, we think we may have so many thoughts, initial enthusiasm, oh, look, I'm a great renunciate. I've shaved my head and put on robes, and now I'm now I'm a Hare Krishna. <laughs> now I'm a great... So, anyway. So the point being that it is a fact. It's not just a thought. It's not just something you think. But here we see practically... That the guru of the demigods, uh, Brihaspati, uh, when he left, they lost the demigods lost their power. Indra lost his power, and 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 immediately the demoniac side said, "Well, they have no power. We still have our guru," and they did, and they were able to. Uh, with his grace, easily uh absurd, uh the heavenly kingdom. Imagine, they just pulled, they came into town and they just kicked all the demigods out. Get out of your houses. You can leave your wives. We'll take care of them for you. You can leave your wealth. You can leave your, you know, your counting houses. So, I mean, they left everything there and they just, they kicked out the main, the, all you guys are, Get out of here. This is now our place. So, the demigods in distress, they went to Brahma, which they do whenever they're in distress, and they said, Can you help us out here? So, the first verse used here is is one of those prayers And uh, the rest of the story is inter- interesting in that uh, Brahma said, "Well, I have a suggestion. You can go to 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 Twasta and uh, you can uh, accept his son as your guru. He can fill in for Brihaspati, and he can help Indra." Uh, conquer over the demons and and uh, so Thvatsa's son Visvarupa he he actually did instruct Indra and he did he did give him special mantras the Narayana Kavacha, and he placed this all over your body it's like spiritual armor you know completely protected we have a version of that in our t-lock we apply t-lock for the protection of the lord uh so this is this is but ours is a spiritual thing but this is actually a a, a protective shield and uh it wasn't just spirit it was in Orion, it was in- well it was yes i mean but we have no intent for material yeah. protection. Right. You know, it's not the intent of the Vaishnav that protect this body. This body, we have no. So it's a different, a different intent, and and the the result, of course, would be different based on the intent. So they were in a, in a position then to regain their heavenly kingdom. They could come into town and say, okay take our places back. Along the way, in accepting uh, Vishwarupa as their guru, now Vishwarupa had, uh, well, he was like, came from a mixed background. (laughs) He had both, uh, you know, a Brahminical father, but his mother was from the demon neighborhood. (laughs) So... uh, when he was offering offering oblations, he would offer to all the demigods, of course, but he also would put in a good word for his, his mother's side of the family, too, unbeknownst to everybody, but he would make some offering, you know, for their well-being. Of course, you want your mother to be taken care of. Indra caught him at it, became furious and immediately killed him and uh, Twasta I gave you my son as your guru and you killed him after you chased your other guru what kind of a man are you and he performed a sacrifice and in the outcome of his sacrifice he wanted somebody that could kill Indra but he was upset, of course, his son had just been killed. And doesn't really say that being upset led to the difficulty, but somehow or other, he, enchanting chanting one of the mantras to obtain an, in, an enemy for Indra, someone who could defeat Indra, he gave the wrong inflection to some of the syllables. And just by that wrong inflection, the intent changed to the sacrificial fire. I want an enemy of Indra, or I want Indra's enemy, which means the enemy can kill you, or you can kill the enemy. Mm -hmm. Somehow that was how the meaning came out. So... uh, Out came Vritrasura to kill Indra, but really it was the intent was that Indra could kill Vritrasura. Well, Vritrasura was actually a great devotee. Um, was it Chitra? Chitraketu? Chitra and Chitra Ketu was, you know, he was a great devotee and he was flying around the universe, having a good time. I mean, you know, Krishna's devotees, it's not that they, you know, it's, it's, you know he, Krishna gives them everything. So he was experiencing the material world. He had some time to do this and uh, came across Shiva and his wife Parvati and saw that Parvati was sitting on Shiva's wife and he kind of, you know, cut a joke. Shiva got it and Parvati didn't get it. She cursed him to fall down. He immediately fell from his airplane and, you know, apologized, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to offend you, it was just an inside joke, you know, (laughs) between me and your husband. Um, She said, well I don't think it was much of a joke, I don't appreciate it much and Uh, You can be born as a demon. Go to it. (laughs) So he became uh, Vritrasura. And uh, as the story plays out, he had to preach to Indra. And in preaching to Indra, Indra saw even though he was in a demon's body, he was a great devotee and he was very appreciative of that. And then he said, okay, well, you can do one service for me as you see my nature is a devotee could you please kill me you know uh, this is not a body that can serve i can't do much devotional service in this body so if you if you kill if you took this body from me i would consider it a great service so he used a uh, a thunderbolt which uh, had been manufactured also with the narayan kuvacha mantra from the bones of dadachi which is another little story <laughs> uh you know dadachi gave up his body for the he was a great yogi and uh, worshiper of Narayan and he was willing to give up his body for the betterment of the demigods and in giving up his body uh they ground the bones and made this thunderbolt for Indra, uh, which would make him invincible. So, uh, there's some interesting stories in the Bhagavatam. (laughs) Uh, So we talked a little bit about, uh, so the prayers, the prayers are quoted here in this Anacheda. And, uh, In the prayers, uh, mention is made of Atma Loka, your own abode, means the abode of the Lord, Atma, Vaikuntha. Then Jiva Goswami in the Anacheda goes on to quote two statements from the Upanishads, confirming this use of the word Atma Loka, meaning Vaikuntha. And it gets a little bit into word meanings in Sanskrit to to bring his point home that this, this is not referring to Atmaloka means Vaikuntha. It doesn't mean the Brahman manifestation, or not manifestation, the Brahman conception of the absolute truth. and he explains it's explained a little bit this is interesting since Brahmad being unqualified indescribable and inconceivable cannot be the object of worship through words how can you worship in words that, that that which has no characteristic so we can see in the prayers of the Upanishads and in the verses from the Bhagavatams that, that are used in the Anucheta, that there's worship of that abode. Well, how can you worship an abode that isn't a, it's not a location? It really has no characteristics. Um, it's completely inconceivable. So how can it be an object of worship through words that would describe it in any way that's contrary to the whole concept of of Brahman um, or how could you meditate on it? how could you how could you fix your mind on something that it, ha- it has its whole nature is. It's not anything that you can have any... We can infer spiritual life, at least that's one nice thing about the Bhagavan conception and the Paramatma conception. You can infer based on what you have some experience of what God's all-pervasive feature is like because you you have a whole world that's pervaded all around you you can you can conceive in some way of the conception of god having a form and engaging in leela because you live a life and it has some some characteristics like that we don't really call it leela because leela means complete freedom but you know some people would misidentify it but there is some. We can infer it. We can infer that God, although we have to go to work, He can go to play. You know, uh, in everything. So, but you. So we can we can concentrate, and we can we can meditate, and we can contemplate on the Paramatma feature and the Bhagavan's feature, but. That's not possible for the Brahman feature because there's there's nothing to put your mind on. What, what, the second you qualify Brahman, you don't understand Brahman is what they say. So if that's what they say, those that, that know <laughs> the unknowable Brahman say you can't qualify it in any way, well, then you can't, you, there's no way to contemplate it, to meditate upon it, to enter in samadhi of it. So how could anybody want it? They know they don't want this. Mm-hmm. So that's in 1880, 1880. Take, every, take all this away, and what's left? Nothing. Furthermore, the statement, the yogis who enter there never come back can also apply to Brahman. I'm sorry, also cannot apply to Brahman, since Brahman, being devoid of divisions, such as interior and exterior, cannot be exited or entered into. So even the yogis, they can't, you know. Brahman, therefore, cannot be intended in these mantras because it does not have any manifest characteristics that would make these actions possible in regard to it. So Jiva's done a pretty good job of of breaking apart all those arguments where there's a misinterpretation of Upanishadic and Puranic statements. Jeeva Goswami goes on to cite verses from Srimad Bhagavatam that clearly show that Dhruvaloka is the abode of Lord Vishnu and beyond the material gunas, despite despite being situated within the material universe. How much more transcendental then is the original Vaikuntha that is beyond the material universe? We also shouldn't be misled by this statement, thinking that Dhruva Loka came into existence like a material planet and that'll become clear as we move on here and finish up the discussion of uh, of the un- different Anuchetis, different sections giving us insight into the nature of Vaikuntha. It became manifest. It's not like, although there might be statements and this is the whole point to use. Although you may have statements in, in Shastra where it's told that the Lord created a planet and in the next Anucheda or the one after it, that's gonna be is is in the verse. Vaikuntha made a Vaikuntha planet upon the request of Lakshmi. Vaikuntha this is a different Vaikuntha, you know who is an incarnation of the Lord, an amsa of the Lord. But he didn't make it. it. He manifested it. You could say, well, that's just word jugglery No, it means to understand what's the nature of the Lord's internal swarup shakti. And then we touched upon this, and we'll move on to the next Ado Cheda, the fact that Dhruva Maharaja's lamentation had nothing to do with his attainment. And Jiva brings that out. Shijiva Goswami shows that Dhruva Maharaja's lamentation has nothing to do with not attaining the Supreme Abode, but rather that his initial desire, from rather, his lamentation was in relationship to his initial desire for material betterment. So, it's not like he was given residence with the Lord and, and, and a, and a Vakintah planet within the material universe. And he felt that he hadn't got it all and was lamenting for that. People can misinterpret what Druva says and Jeeva's saying. If you're reading it that way, you're reading it the wrong way. Mentions a little bit about Dwarka here, basically saying when Dwarka was, quote, destroyed by the ocean. Dworka entered back into the ocean that the Lord's residence in Dworka was not affected by that devastation because the Lord brings his own transcendental abode the Lord's transcendental abode even when manifested in the material world is eternal sometimes radical non those that except the Brahman conception, try to interpret the words Pada and Dama to mean Brahman, but such explanations are muddled because they are there are numerous places where the Lord refers to Vaikuntha as Matstana, my abode. Such explanations lead a person away from their real meaning and thus deny them the possibility of higher conceptions in Bhagavad, who by his very nature includes and transcends indeterminate Brahman. So, accepting those interpretations, those explanations, those readings... Of the Upanishads and the Puranas takes us away from the Bhagavan conception and gives us what, from our perspective, it's a misconception. It's not, what the, it's not what's being presented. In this way, Jiva Goswami has shown the nine characteristics of Vaikuntha in the last 12 Anuchetas. So, a little summary here these attributes are again summarized below. It cannot be attained as an effect of result-oriented action by any kind. So, there's no action that we can do in this material realm to attain the transcendental realm. No material action. That's what it's meant by result-oriented action. Uh, It is beyond the visible material world no one falls from Vaikuntha back to Anucheta 63 Uh, it is attained only by those firmly established in freedom from the material gunas it is the seat of unalloyed being free from the material gunas it is beyond material nature it is eternal it can be attained only by bhakti which decries even the bliss of Brahman realization it is by nature eternal, full of consciousness and bliss. Annotcheta 73. Vaikuntha has numerous manifestations. So, Jiva begins this annotated by saying, this concludes the description of the essential features of Sri Vaikunta. So he's described these nine features of Vaikuntha. It should also be noted, now let me add a couple footnotes for your understanding, that Vaikunta has many distinct manifestations in the same way that the Lord sometimes manifests fully and sometimes partially amsa. These include the abodes of Vishnu different forms like Matsyadev, which are described in the Uttara Khanda of Padma Purana. Mahatreya hints at this and then Jiva goes on to say that the abode of Lord Shiva is described in a similar fashion in the Vayu Purana. And we'll end this evening with this description of Lord Shiva's planet. Uh, so you can ima- have some imagination and infer, well, if this is Shiva's abode, he's also, you know, it's it's a transcendental abode. It's beyond the material realm, but it just gives you some idea Um as to what my must be like. So here's the description from the Vayu Purana. A deep ocean of water surrounds the universal shell. So every universe is surrounded by a deep uh, ocean of water. Brahmananda. Beyond this water, above and on all sides... There is a spherical effulgence which holds the water. This fire is like a hot ball of iron, making a circular orbit and is surrounded by dense air that suspends it. The dense air is held by the sky. The sky is surrounded by the Tan mantras. You know what the Tadmatras are. Those are the objects of the senses. So, when we see with the eyes, the object, the the object that comes into the eyes is a Tadmatra. When we hear the sound, so sound. Sight has a subject. Uh, when you smell, so smell is a tad mantra. Sight is a tan mantra, um, sound is a tan mantra, touch and taste. So these objects of the senses are the tan mantras, which in turn are covered by the mahat. The mahat is the conglomerate of everything that is manifest and then the, the description goes on the mahat is upheld and pervaded by the unmanifest and limitless Pradana from all sides okay so you see what the universe is surrounded by the universal egg is now this is when it's manifest When it's unmanifest, it just enters into the Lord as pradhan. So it's just like he breathes, what do we breathe in? We breathe in air. When he breathes in and relaxes from manifesting the universe, which is like breathing out, it's not hard work for him. He hardly even knows he does it. the breathing in, all the universes enter back into Karna Dakshai Vishnu, who's lying on the causal ocean as air. And when he breathes out, out comes the universes and gradually step by step all these things manifest. So from the his breathing, his pradana, his energy then, then you have this, this energy which, well, they say, he says it's separate from me. So when it's coming out, it's separate from him. And when he breathes in, it's not separate from him. But in Bhagavad Gita, he talks about this material energy is, is my separated energy so he breathes out and then the, the mahatattva which is the conglomerate and then from the mahatattva you have the sense objects the objects of the senses then so all these create the the bubble into which he enters himself filling up the bottom half of the bubble with his own perspiration and he lays down relaxes as Garbodakshai Vishnu, and from him the lotus comes, and Brahma manifests on the lotus, and so this is giving us some idea of of what this, what's where we sit in relationship to the vaikuntha atmosphere. The Mahat is upheld and pervaded by the unmanifested and limitless. Pradhan from all sides. This Pradhana is boundless, unmanifested, without beginning or end, and is Thomas or dark. It has no Shakti, None of the Lord's it's not of the Lord's nature. It seems to be separated from him. There is no light in it, it is limitless and not divided by directions. Beyond the Thomas and the sky exists the great place of Lord Shiva, which is well known and effulgent. This transcendental place cannot be attained by the gods. This is the verdict of the Shruti. So, this abode of Shiva is just on the other side. And it's almost in the Vaikuntha atmosphere some say it is the Vaikuntha atmosphere because it's not the material atmosphere now if you if you've read uh, Brihat Bhagavatam Rita then that's that's the first thing that Gopakumar experiences when he leaves the material universe is the abode of Shiva and it was kind of a a difficulty for him to leave the material universe because in in each one of the tan mantras remember he went through those layers he was overwhelmed with it was very enjoyable for him having a complete immersion in all sound in all smell in all taste, in all touch. So, anyway, you can go back and read that portion of the brihap bhagavata so, so we have to go through all this also when we read? Well, that's how he... I, I'm sure Krishna deals with each one of his devotees and mm-hmm. Sometimes he'll send down a Vicunta plane and that's it. Mm-hmm. If you wanna you know, you talked about taking the long way home. We all have our own desires and we'll develop our own spiritual desires in regards to uh some of us may want to check out the Lord's external energy. Well, he'll he'll fulfill your desire.
1: Well if you see that it's his if you
0: see that it's his energy and uh, he's flying the plane. Uh, maybe you'll change your mind. Maybe you won't. Any questions? I have a question in relation to Samati's question. Um, so Simati was like, wait, we have to go through all of this? And I'm like thinking like, oh, you know, as we progress in Bhakti, mm-hmm. like I thought you would like go into Baba Bhakti and then like when you're like going like into praying, you would like just take birth in the leelas. So are you saying like, before taking birth on Lila, you would have to go through all of these things? Not everyone takes birth in Krishna Lila. Okay. Okay. That's a special... I mean, there are other Bhaktas, other devotees who do not have as as uh, as their... the intent of their practice. Uh, you know, Krishna. Okay. Yeah. Krishna is a special... Special right. dispensation. Right. So not everyone has that. So some people right. some people are worshippers of Lakshmi Narayan. Right. Their concept is beauti- beautific vision. They haven't you know they may be in Santaras, they may be in Dasha just Dashi I guess I was asking like They may their aspiration may be Vaikuntha, their aspiration may be Ayodhya. Mm-hmm. She was asking us. Yeah, about herself. Selfishly. Yeah, I was just like well, let's hope you stay in the Gaudia camp. Yeah, so, so if you're a Gaudiya, you don't have to do that. Yeah, but I've known devotees who were in the Gaudia camp that now have, uh, they've switched camps. Their aspiration yeah, is more probably. the Vaikuntha realm. They're still great devotees, but so... in the association of uh, Krishna knows your heart he'll help your heart develop according to the association he sent you a particular association based on some prior impressions that have caught you caught your attention thank you so much for your association